Hello and welcome to Two Peas in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department here in Derby. I'm Ian Lewins again, one of the consultants, and I'm very happy to be joined by one of my consultant colleagues, Dr Julia Sorridge. Good afternoon, Julia. Good afternoon, Ian. And we are going to talk Majax, or major instant training. So what is Majax? So Majax or uh, major incident, depends on the hospital, is um, the word basically used to describe major incident. So you might have an icon on your desktop, for example, Majax policy. Majax isn't really the technical term, it should be major incident. Okay, okay, good. So how did you get involved and what, what is your involvement currently within this trust? Okay, so I started as a paediatric registrar. I did the hospital major incident medical management and support course. A bit of a Easy mouthful. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Otherwise known as HMIMS, yep. which is uh, tied in very well with MIMS, which is the pre-hospital major incident course. Yep. It's an ALSG course. It's a two-day course. Um, and it is excellent because it pulls clinicians like myself and managers and senior nursing staff out of our clinical silos and makes us realise actually the bigger picture what's going on in the hospital really enjoyed the course put forward as an instructor became an instructor and landed in my current hospital the Royal Derby as the only instructor in hospital mims in the hospital so like all things in life you're it I am it (laughs) Uh, I show enthusiasm and um, next thing I know several years later I'm now within the trust emergency emergency planning steering group So we plan exercises, we make sure that all of the training within the hospital uh, is up to date, all of the plans are up to date, um, and yeah, that's basically where I'm at. And who sort of, you you kind of intimated, it's not just clinicians, it is management as well. So who gets involved in sort of the HMIMS training, who do you train then? So we encourage anybody who's in a senior role within the hospital. So it could be a senior manager, a senior clinician, senior nurse, senior porter, anybody that's really going to be leading a team, not necessarily a huge team. It could be a small team. Um, Desperately trying to encourage surgeons to come, anaesthetists. I don't think I've ever seen a trauma and orthopaedic surgeon, for example, on the course. But the more people like that that come, the better it all becomes. Okay. I guess one question people would say is, okay, that sounds great, but why do we need it? Why do we need major instant training? So here in Derby, we've not had a major instant for decades. Indeed. So what's the point? So like all things in medicine, the more you practice, the better you become. And actually, uh, with regards to the Manchester bombing, um, the NHS England debrief from that uh, a lot of clinicians felt and managers felt they'd very recently had a major incident training exercise so fortuitously they were really up to speed and up to date with what they needed to do when that occurred um, these things are always tragic situations we have to remember that we are all going to be working under extraordinary conditions and that you will be asked to step outside of your comfort zone take on a role you're not necessarily familiar with so we need to practice, we need to rehearse, we need to train so that when it actually happens, we really understand what our role is. Mm. It's one of those things that it'll never happen until it happens. Absolutely. And then you're thinking, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> so thinking then back to sort of Manchester, what, what were sort of the learning points that kind of you took away from that or that were passed on to you as in your role? 
Okay, so so um, there's actually a very good uh, debrief that is well worth a read if you have any interest in in, in major incidents. Um, and it's not just Manchester, there's many other documents mm. out there. The London bombings, for example, yeah. there are um, a very, very long list of recommendations from that. Um, I think what's key is communication, always communication, and how do you go about doing that in this sort of situation? Um, you can't necessarily default to telephones. The more information you pass up to senior management, the more that can help. Um, I think, uh, again, a key role, were, a key thing was... Well, they'd, they'd trained hmm. um, and they knew what they were doing. There were five hospitals involved. Um, and uh, out of those five, a, a good number had done some recent training. Um, I think for uh, anyone at any sort of level, to, to open your plan on the day, when it's happening, that's not the time to read your plan. Awesome. You need to understand it. Or even can I find the plan? Or even can you find the plan, indeed. Because that's a bit embarrassing. It is. <laughs> we'll refer to the plan. Does anybody know where it is? Okay, so I guess that's the first thing: is where's my plan? Where's your plan? And do I know the plan? Absolutely. And are these when you're thinking about the HMIMS course? Are these the sort of things on the two-day course that you you would go over? Is that you know? Yeah. So the, the beauty of the HMIMS course is it's very generic. So you, you're not necessarily going to be um, labelled as the emergency department consultant. Mm. So you you will all be working in tabletops and we mix up the tabletops. So you've got a mixed group of clinicians, uh, preferably with some managers, and you all work together running that hospital over a couple of days. It's called Mimsville, similar to, to the Mims course. Um, and we uh, push a whole load of casualties through the two days on separate tabletops in the different sections and different scenarios so there's four tabletops and um, the first one is a, is a sort of very gentle introduction to to Minville and, and the emergency department then we start introducing casualties in yep. the reception phase then you start actually treating your casualties in the definitive care fair definitive care phase yep. and then you start thinking well how do we all recover from this so recovering of the staff recovering of your teams of your targets that all the hospital has to still conform to even though you might be the receiving hospital in an instant okay um and once you've done that that's in the same way because you said it's an alsg course in yes. the same way as als and APLS, that's valid for three years four years that's valid for four years four years okay indeed which is fine but how does how do you and how do we keep our competencies up in between that four years? Okay, to, to, so sort of good question. Sure. Uh, we are lucky in here in the Royal Derby that um, the hospital has taken this on as mandatory training. Although there's a bit of caveat to that because it's it's essential to roll yeah. as opposed to official. Thou shalt do your yes. mandatory training. Um, however, it's in there, um, and we have different levels of training. There's a DVD, which is a bit of an introduction, and then within the teams, we start doing some simple PowerPoint presentations, which literally are, what is your role, where is your plan, where do you need to report to? Keep it very, very simple, mm. because otherwise people are just going to start switching off. Um, but I think it's about understanding, should it happen on your next shift, yeah. what should you be doing? Okay. And one of the things that I we, I see as I walk around, uh, there's lots of sort of signs up, particularly John's as well, of silver command and gold command. Uh -huh. what, what's what's that all about? So gold is very strategic. So gold would be our chief execs, senior managers, and what they're looking at is the strategic role of the hospital and who else is out there in, in the bigger area. So they'll be communicating with the 
care commissioners, with the minor injuries units, uh, with all the other primary care um, walk-in centres, etc., to say we, the Royal Derby, are currently a receiving hospital for a major incident. We cannot take our usual business. So um, that's what they'll be doing. They'll okay. be communicating with our ambulance uh, teams, for example, to say, uh, what can you do to support us? Because obviously we'll be using all the ambulances within our East Midlands. So they're, they're looking bigger picture, okay. and it depends on how big the incident is as to how far up that goes within um, all of the levels of NHS England, for example. Okay. Um, and I guess just following on from that, maybe one thing I should have asked at the start is actually we're talking about major incident. Indeed. What? Is that the same for different places? How would you define a major incident? Is a major incident for this hospital the same as a major incident for a bigger hospital or a smaller hospital, or does it does it is it sort of situationally different? So it can be situationally different because it depends on the team that you have there on the day and how big a hospital you are. So, for example, one hospital might be overwhelmed by six casualties from hmm. a bus or a, or a minibus, uh, whereas a bigger hospital would, would manage and wouldn't necessarily call that a major incident. Hmm. Um, so it, it revolves around the type of casualty. So yep. you might be overwhelmed by paediatric cases, which for most hospitals is huge, yep. uh, or you might have... Um, uh, a large number, so a bus crash, for example, and then expanding on that even more, you might have a mass casualty, which is usually well over a hundred, yeah. and it won't just be one receiving hospital; they'll be sent to to numerous hospitals around you. Um, so it's the number, type, and severity. Okay. Um, it might even be a location. So, for example, um, you might have um, somebody who's uh, in a in a bus or a, or a minibus stuck in a river. Um, most people get out except one, but the first responders will call the major incident. That will be appropriate because the location of that okay. is a fast-moving river and you need uh, well-trained people to be getting that one survivor out. Okay. And that leads on to another point, actually, with you sort of saying that the first responders might call. Who, who makes that decision that this is a major incident? How do... How do what? So so the first responders at the scene, who might be ambulance, police or fire, could say uh, there is a major incident. But we have to remember that a major incident for one service is not necessarily the same for another. Uh, for example, Lockerbie, sadly there were no survivors, yeah. but that was a major incident for emergency services, but not for the hospital. So usually if there's a lot of casualties, then um, the emergency service would declare a major incident. Um, and then that would be transferred to a hospital. Uh, we would be put on standby, and what that means is that you'd be waiting for more information coming through when the senior medical commander or the senior incident commander would, would give you a bit of a ballpark figure uh, of the number of casualties, the type, etc., etc. Um, but again, it's about understanding your major incident plan. Does the message come directly through to switchboard from the emergency services and then it's declared, or does it come via your emergency department? And then the emergency department consultant would declare a major incident. Okay, so putting in the sort of say the hypothetical situation, it's a uh, you're on shift. It's Monday evening, and there's a busload of kids coming back from Alton Towers. Big crash, fire brigade on the scene, police on the scene, ring ahead and say we've got a mass casualty. We've got it. We've got a major incident. There are thirty, forty kids 
with significant injuries, you're the lead. What would you do? What do you do next? What's your so? If we were put on standby, then yep. I'd be discussing with the uh, my senior nurse colleagues. I'd be liaising with um, adults because obviously I'm a paediatrician, yep. so uh, or paediatric emergency medicine person. So I would be very much doing a joint response with next door. We've got to be very careful, however, that we don't tell too many people because what you don't want, uh, by the nature of who we are, we start passing the message on, and then before you know where you're at, theatres are cancelled outpatients are cancelled so I'll be getting a core group of people together to having a discussion to say look where are we at what's the staffing in, mm. in the department how many patients have we got is there anyone that we can mobilize quickly but we'd have to be very careful we didn't do too much until we got the major incident declared okay and then as sort of casualties start to arrive and we say actually this is not standby anymore this is this, this isn't a major incident then it sort of escalates. It would escalate. Yeah. I, I would hope that it would be declared before the casualties start arriving. That's okay. not always the case. Uh, one of the hospitals in Manchester received casualties before uh, okay. there was declaration of an incident, and that was to do with the nature of the incident. They weren't sure necessarily whether this was a, a dirty bomb or not. Yeah. So a dirty bomb. So obviously um, there was a delay. Um, so by the nature of people, they will find their way to to a hospital somehow. So you might get people who turn up, and that might be the first thing that you know. So if it looks like there's a few coming in, then yes, we would we would have a discussion and then declare a major incident. Our switchboard will then start calling people in. Um, we've got up to somewhere between twenty and twenty two people on the initial call out list for switchboard. Mm. The quickest time that uh, they've managed to get through that is twenty two minutes to get through those names those are senior people uh, within the hospital uh, or maybe the on-call person for trauma orthopaedic or surgery for Mm. example and then we would have to rely on those individuals cascading out to their teams and they continue to cascade out and at some point uh, somebody's keeping um, a log of who they've called when can they come in and actually thinking further ahead retaining some staff because you don't want everybody to come in immediately because you'd need to take over either on a night shift or the next day shift you need some fresh staff to come in and support and take over so it's it's planning not just for the now it's planning for the what happens after that and after that and after that absolutely and is that why it's useful to sort of have switchboard doing it rather than you say you know i'll just whatsapp everybody i'll text everybody because nobody then quite knows who you've been in touch with, who's got back to you. Is it better to sort of drive it all through switchboard? Well, the initial call-out will be through, through switchboard. Okay. Um, it is very reasonable to have uh, within Teams a way of doing it. So WhatsApp is a very good example. Mm. As you know, we've tried that and it works. Um, I would add a caveat if you're doing an exercise. Make sure you put exercise, exercise in it. Otherwise, people will be thinking, what on earth is Dr Lewin's doing? Mm. Um, so uh, be very clear with your team. Uh, if it is an exercise, that's what you're doing. Uh, any any form of communication is 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 fine as long as it works um, and as long as someone is logging who's okay. who's responded and and can they come in uh, maybe even ask when you put if you put a me- message out say major incident declared uh, what is your you know what what is your ETA potentially um, and ten- generally what happens is the people who live the furthest away are, are held to to come back in later right okay it's all very exciting indeed. Um, and of course, as we say, you going back to this, it's something that you think, well, uh, I hope I never need it. But it's so important because, you know, it's the day that you're, you'll need it, that you'll need it. Absolutely. Um, so if people are 
interested in getting involved in this. Uh-huh. Um, can anybody get involved in this? I mean, you sort of say paramedics, GPs, nurse practitioners, can they sort of get involved in Absolutely. the MIMS and the HMIMS and those sorts Absolutely. of things? Absolutely. So, so certainly for, um, for HMIMS, we would encourage anybody that's hospital-based yeah. to come to that. Um, there is no reason why, um, if you're in a minor injuries unit, for example, that you couldn't come along. I think the principles are, are the same. Um, and actually it might be very useful for you to come and see what the hospital is doing so that you know how mm. that we all work together as, as, a, as a team, albeit strategically across bigger areas. Um, if you're uh, within a hospital, find the person in your team that's, that's the lead for major incident or has an interest in major incident because that's how I started. Mm. Um, work out your own exercises whether it's communication or tabletop exercises because those are really powerful you can learn all sorts of things from doing your tabletop Um, and just approach as many people as you can read the plan is it actually in date does it make sense if you started in in the trust the day before would you understand what's Mm. in front of you if you don't see if you can support rewriting it there's lots of little things that need doing so don't be put off by the fact that this is it is huge because um, lots of little things need need changing and updating and how often do you do you just think about that plan as uh-huh. you say it's great to have one it's no good if it's 10 years out of date so how often does the plan get visited again and again so that's up to us and the EPSG to, to keep an idea, to keep up to date with those plans. Mm. It does default to the wording if it's a guideline or a policy as to what, what the recommendations are. Generally, we would probably look at it every two to three years. If, however, something major has happened within a hospital, uh, for example, uh, merging with another hospital, yes. then clearly we need to revisit things and they need rewriting. Um, it may be that um, you've got a new team that have taken over. Um, any opportunity like that is a good opportunity to have a look at the plan and see is it, is it fit for purpose. Great stuff. So the bottom line is really important. We hope we'll never need it. But if we've trained, as they did in Manchester you'll be able to respond, hopefully, in the best way possible. Absolutely. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much for your time, Julie. Thank you very much, Ian.